Welcome to Healthcare 2030. This program features conversations and interviews with respected healthcare industry experts discussing the latest topics regarding current issues today and the future of healthcare, innovation, and technology. To learn more about OxioHealth, head over to oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io. Now here's your host, Noel Guillama. Welcome to Healthcare 2030. I am Noel Guillama. I'd like to introduce Carl Larson, who's my co-host. Well, thank you, Noel. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, these podcasts have been, uh, I think, very informative. We got some great feedback from people. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we're able to get a lot of information out to uh, our listeners. Well, I'm not going to tell you, but whenever you get fan mail, I make sure it doesn't get to you. So, you know, don't well, get too, too excited. They, they send it to me on a different channel. I uh, Oh, that's what it is. We have, we have our days. Well, at the last uh, podcast, we talked uh, the first in the series uh, about uh, the impact that the uh, COVID uh, worldwide pandemic has had on the healthcare industry economics. Mostly we talked about hospitals and we talked a little bit about um, healthcare uh, systems and, and we started talking at, at some at some at the end about uh, community-based care. Right. So I, I think if, if you agree, sort of we pick it up with community-based care and start talking more about physicians, um, HMOs, we certainly talk about, right. or maybe we can leave that for the last, for the last of the series uh, because there are winners. I mean, it's almost everything else. There are losers and there are winners and there are people that have to adapt um, and, and make changes. Well, I, I certainly agree. And, I think, you know, to uh, not to use a uh, cliche, but and, uh, but I will. And that is that, uh, you know, community-based care is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, after all, at the end of the day, the consumer or the patient is key. And, and patient-centered uh, health care and, and medical practice is where we are and where we need to focus and that is in the community. So anything that I believe, anything that affects the ability of a practice, whether that practice is a single doctor practice or a, a multiple physician practice or even a small hospital, anything that affects their ability to uh, provide a wellness and, and health uh, benefit to the public in their area is a problem. So uh, I think we're going to focus on, and that's a reason we're going to focus on community-based care. Well, one of the things that, that, that you I know, and I have experienced is the, the real sense of community that happens after a hurricane. Yes. We lived it through in South Florida. And um, one of the things, you know, there are some negative sides. You know, we have sometimes uh, people do stupid things and you have people price gouging and things like that. But one of the things that, that I find the most remarkable is that both before a hurricane in preparations, and, and you're an expert on that literally, uh, and and in, in post-hurricane recovery, that generally the communities really, really come together. Neighbors will help each other. Um, I could tell you that I had tremendous experience when my home was damaged, has been damaged a few times, and I have now uh, reciprocated helping always others. So one of the things that I think one of those Again, we silver linings. I think we ended up in the last 
podcast talking about is is the sense of community, both the sense of community that are we do not live in isolation as much as we were twelve weeks in isolation or tried to be in isolation. We don't live in isolation. We can't function in isolation. So that uh, our our neighbor's health, our our, our fellow uh, uh, visitor to a facility, whether it's a medical facility or a shopping facility or a coffee facility, um, we share some risk and we share that sense of community. And at least the last time we heard about wearing a protective mask or PPE, which now every five-year-old probably knows in the world, um, the, one of the, the first reasons was to not uh, share uh, the virus because there were so many people. In some cases, it looks like even a majority of people are not showing any symptoms of having the COVID-19 virus so that it was prudent. It was uh, morally the right thing. It was egalitarian to take some precautions. So I think that the, the, the one of the silver linings is understanding sort of that community part of it. The other thing we were talking about community also was the role that technology can play in the community. We talked in, in the last uh, podcast about how um, people that were not comfortable using technology have actually now started to use technologies. I know doctors that, that, that literally had to learn how to use Zoom um, and how to use other platforms to communicate, even WhatsApp and other things to communicate with their patients, A, right. because they wanted to, B, because their patients needed it, and, 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 and three is because, it, because the rules were changed and they were allowed to bill for that service. So it, it also became an economic uh, issue for them, an economic survival. Right, right. Kind of flip-flopped in, a, in an interesting way. Instead of the patient coming to the physician, the physician was actually going to the patient, and, but not physically. They were going there sort of electronically, virtually. And uh, so that, uh, that provided a great benefit. But I think there's, there's been a shortcoming to that, too, don't you think? Uh, the, the, the physician lacks the, the, the vital information on the patient. They, they lack all of that important touch that, that they would have if the patient were physically there with them. So I think that that's, that, as good as that system is, there's a, there's a fundamental shortcoming in it. Sure. I mean, we, we've talked about it. Telemedicine was growing um, at a pretty fast rate, but relatively, the real numbers were actually still very small. Um, the last time I looked at it, it was under 5% yeah. of all care was provided by telemedicine. Right. And what, what the COVID-19 and this crisis did, again, for all, for society, for the patient and for the physician, and, and, and indirectly for the government or the payers, because they wrote the checks uh, to do this, is it accelerated. And I think we said that before also, you know, years of, of progress into weeks literally happened. Yeah, it, it was a compression. It was a huge compression. And I think we will return uh, to more reasonable levels. I don't think we'll ever see five or six percent. And, you know, and, and there are a lot of limitations with telemedicine. And let's be realistic. Uh, there are there are issues when you require, especially elderly patients, uh, that you require them to inform the doctor of their condition, how many medications are on. I can tell you that my father, who's who's passed away at the time of his his death, he was on 
eight, nine medications. And it was it would have been impossible for him to remember. Yeah. I had to keep a list of it. Whenever he went to the doctor, I went with him. Yeah. Or I'd, I'd emailed it to the doctor or I'd fax to the doctor so he knew all the medications. It's really, really hard. Um, and a couple of times he had medications. They had issues with the medication. There was yeah. a contraindication for that medication. Right. Um, so that's really hard in telemedicine to depend on that. Now, if you are a relatively healthy young person and you have the typical symptoms of, you know, let's say a sore throat and you've had sore throats, it is probably not dangerous unless you, you have some allergies for a doctor to prescribe you, you know, antibiotics and, you know, at least you can see a doctor. Certainly not if it's one that's been prescribed previously. Exactly. So if the patient says, listen, I've had this before three years ago and they sent me a Z-Pack, uh, then, you know, there, there's, and there's no other indication the patient, you know, does not seem anything else. You're certainly not going to abuse a Z-Pack, okay? It's certainly not something you get addicted to or anything else. At right. least I've been told that. High reliance, though, on the ability of the patient to be clear and honest about what their condition is. Right, so. and, and there's no reason for somebody to get, to get an antibiotic, um, you know, if they, if they didn't need it. Um, but, but so when you get besides past a certain small number, okay. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't say if it's 10% or 20, but I know it's not a majority of care. Um, it's really hard for a cardiologist to treat a patient unless there's a follow-up. How do you, and and most of the answer is going to be, how do you feel? Okay. What they may ask is what's your blood pressure. Okay. What's your temperature? But this goes into the, the last conversation again, also as a use of technology. Now, if you take telemedicine, which is, which is the secret of telemedicine, in my opinion, and you connect it to an EHR platform that, that, that has the patient's information, your the value of that, that telemedicine um, interaction with the patient it is exponential it's because now you know Definitely. the value. Right. And then if you take that and you add one more layer of technology, which is effectively what we today call IOT or connected devices, so that you know what the patient's blood pressure was, really, not just not just like in the old days where a patient, and I remember the, my, our doctors telling these to patients, I need you to get this log and measure your right. blood pressure you know, every, every, you know, three or four hours, measure your blood glucose every three or four hours. And then next time you come and see me in a couple of weeks, let me see it. That, that, that was done all the time. It's just like the same thing when you had halter monitors, yeah. when people had issues yeah. with their heart. And I remember seeing the doctors prescribe it and they couldn't find it or it was difficult or because it was either walking or not walking. Doctors would put on a patient this effectively recording device, it looked like a tape recorder mm-hmm. with the leads on their chest and they would walk around for one or two days. I don't think it was very long. And, and it would record all the heart, all the heart activity. And then right. they would feed that to a, a, a reader or they would, they would translate it to effectively, it was analog. It wasn't even digital at the time. And then they would say, they would look at a sort of a rolling EKG of the patient and right. they'd find what the problem was. Today, you could do all that remotely. You could do all that live. Um, and that's why what I think is going to happen is starting to happen right now. And I think it's going to be, uh, an opportunity of two, three, four years, instead of 10 years, it's going to be a a two or three years where you take the patient use of telemedicine, which we've crossed that road in a pretty serious way here recently. You take the patient's EMR, the history of the patient. So that you know what the context was. You know exactly what drugs are on. You know exactly what issues they have. And you connect it to IoT devices, 
okay? So the doctor can see real-time data, both their an oximeter, okay, a blood pressure cuff, um, a uh, a uh, a uh, an O2 sat. Uh, well, that's it. Oximeter, right. so they take right, but also a blood glucose, mm -hmm. okay, a weight scale, right. In certain conditions, if you gain or lose five or ten pounds, it's an issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah certainly, if you true. have some kind of you know really you know bad cancer, if a patient in, in in a month loses five or six pounds, it might be an impact. Especially again, if they were not able to see a doctor on a routine basis. So I think we're going to have is much more monitoring, and I think you and I've described it sort of having at least been pilots for a while. Uh, you've done it professionally is a little bit of an air traffic controller type of environment mm -hmm. where if everything is, is, is nominal, okay. Or maybe even a, a NASA launch, right. That's where I learned the word nominal <laughs> as a child listening to NASA launches in Florida. If everything is nominal, there's nothing to do. It's just nominal. That right. means it's normal, right? right. Uh, if it isn't, then you, 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 you attack it or you do something. Right. And I think that's the future that we're going to have in healthcare is telemedicine linked to the personal wellness record or the personal health record or the, you know, so I also believe we talked about it, that in the very near future, it will not be 10 years anymore, is the patient's going to control their record. Oh, that's yeah. going to change everything. Yeah, so now you've got, if you've got telemedicine, of uh, ease of telemedicine, you've got the patient's personal health record, and you have IoT devices, now you're talking about a potentially exponential use of telemedicine. Because these technologies multiply the others. It's not like it's going to be a 10 or 20% increase. When you compound those three, right. it's going to be <clears throat> hundreds of percent of increase of efficacy and utilization. Right. And and comfort level for the physician in, in diagnose, uh, diagnosing the patient. I think one of the things, and you and I have talked about this, you know, we've seen many companies uh, technology companies trying to enter into the healthcare space and and it was technology trying to drive healthcare and it did not work but what we have as a result of this pandemic now is healthcare is driving technology and is pushing technology and as as you and I have have coined the the phrase this is technology infused healthcare and it's not healthcare infused technology right so we've got we've got a real shift that has occurred and not only in the timeline of bringing on board technology into healthcare but in the actual involvement and motivation of healthcare to bring technology in because it's so needed it's so needed because it as you just very clearly said it multiplies every 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 piece of technology that's added multiplies and is not additive it's multiplicative so it's um it it we're at a, a very critical juncture critical in the standpoint of importance in terms of the growth and development of our healthcare system right so the the, the historical the, the the what i would normally use the word master trend in healthcare had mm -hmm. been the ag baby boomers the fact that over nine thousand people a day are turning 65 Okay, that was the master trend, and it has been the master trend, you know, for a number of decades. Right. Um, and that's what that's why we named this podcast Healthcare Twenty Thirty, 
because by 2030, the entire baby boom population is going to be in Medicare. And that is a, that is a big deal. It okay. Is. And I, I, we'll talk about animals here in a second, but that's sort of the white elephant in the room. Okay. Right. Um, that is a big deal. And that's shifting it. What has happened now uh, with COVID-19 is you've accelerated all of those things. Right. And you have also found the things that are inefficient, uh, the things that are, do not contribute to the system, to the quality of care, um, and 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 a certain extent, um, uh, you have empowered more the patient because the patient is now uh, in a position to not only ask more questions. Uh, some people talk about sort of Doctor Google, right? Um, I, I can tell you that I've talked to doctors and I said, well, what, what, what do you think is wrong with you? <laughs> Cause they already know I looked at it and you know, Google a long time. Uh, but all of that is empowering the patient is, is a driving force, uh, because, uh, those are going to be the master trends. So if you look at, at information technology is a monster trend in healthcare. The second monster trend is a consumer consumerism of healthcare, where I can tell you that my grandparents and my parents whatever the doctor said they do it okay i don't think you and i are that com that 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 complacent and 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 or and, compliant or compliant right. And, right. and 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 i i warned them about the generation behind us and and those pesky millennials boy they they don't re they don't respond to authority very well so <laughs> yeah. i i could i i don't even want to go there but we're just we're just ornery exactly yeah, they're they're anti so, so that that that, cons that that consumerism in healthcare is dramatic. And then I think the third thing, the third master trend in healthcare is 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 compensating or paying for healthcare. Yeah. Okay? Healthcare until um the early 80s uh effectively was fee for service medicine. Now there were exceptions where you had sort of an employer cooperative that eventually became the Kaiser Permanente plan in California. Right. Yeah. But before that, it was what was called indemnity. I don't even think the term exists other than in, you know, in insurance books, uh, where you basically paid the insurance company would pay 80% of whatever it cost, you'd pay 20%. But that that created tremendous inflation in cost. Um, after that, you started getting more and more into managed care or capitation okay. where the, the, the insurance company would pay a doctor an X percentage of premium or an X fixed number to handle these services. Recently, we have seen much more bundling. And one of the biggest trends in that, in that, in that consumerism is price transparency. Uh, literally right. the drive to eliminate, and we've talked about this before, how does a $100,000 hospital bill become $5,000 and the patient pays 500. A, uh, because you have something called a charge master, which is sort of the grossed up charge. Very, 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 very few people, I hope none, but the reality is very few people pay retail prices, right. okay? If we think it's a challenge to buy a car in America anyway, between the price and the benefits and the features and, and the options, um, healthcare is the most archaic system on earth. Right now, the industry is fighting. There's a lot of fights going on in healthcare, by the way. We could, maybe in the next one, we'll talk about trans, you know, tra um, interoperability and the challenges between the big EHR companies and the little ones and the government. But one of the challenges of right now is price transparency. And the government's trying to mandate in the state of Florida, every hospital has to publish their charge master, which is how much they charge per procedure. The problem is that the, the law was great conceptually, 
The problem is that you're talking about some charge masters are thousands of pages long, and every hospital has a different number and a different name for what is extensively the same procedure. Right. That's okay. Right. So nobody thought about that. So that's an issue. Now, recently, there's been a fight because the government, the federal government, is trying to force insurance companies to disclose and hospitals um, to disclose their best prices for managed care. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you this because I negotiated these myself, that many times we would negotiate a price that was 25% of charges, 30% of charges, 40% of charges. So if the charges doesn't mean anything, uh, and it certainly didn't mean anything, mean anything to me when I was negotiating the contracts, then the insurance companies and the hospitals are both fighting because they don't want to release that. For the hospital, it's a competitive advantage because they can negotiate with the HMOs better. We The HMOs, you know, have some issues and everybody know what they're paying because I can tell you a small emerging HMO is going to pay a lot more than the large HMOs because of because of capacity. That, that's not unfair. It's just capacity. That's right. It's a volume. It's a volume business. That's right. It's so all the numbers can. The, the industry has, sadly, um, survived for decades on on this this very op- I, I use the word opaque pricing right. system right and and confu- consumers have been confused well again that's one of the things technology can fix and right now employers are asking for price transparency the latest issue has been you know with pharmacy benefit managers which are the companies that basically handle the pharmacy what they make how they don't make I believe that this COVID uh, cr- world pandemic and the crisis in the United States is going to lead to something better uh, for for society and for healthcare. Once once we either find, you know, solutions and 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 vaccines or whatever the the herd in, the herd immunity or I, I don't know and I don't, I'm not going to talk about it. But there is going to be a day after that we have, yeah. and that day after is going to be interesting. Well, it's almost a day of reckoning in some respects. I think. I, um, but you know, before we get into the critters, uh, just one one other quick question. Um, do you think that managed care provides a better option for the physician, for the hospital, and for the patient? Because it really, to me, in my view of it at the moment, seems to be that it actually encourages a physician to keep a patient well. That's a great question, okay? Um, and, and, and I didn't prompt you, so it's even better. <laughs> Um, here's the, here, here, I'll give you, there's three questions. There's three questions there. A was the hospital. Right. Okay. I don't know how hospitals fix their model. Okay. And it, and part of the problem is they are so incredibly overregulated. It, it's heartbreaking. Okay. Uh, literally, you cannot build a hospital. I mean, the doors have to be a certain size. The floor has to be a certain size. The people, the staffing, emergency room. It, it is an incredibly regulated industry, more than any other part of healthcare. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not. I'm going to skip by the hospital's long-term solution, but I think it is about managed care. It's a much more about community care. Uh, it's probably optimizing, probably downsizing. Um, um, generally, right, right size or right, right sizing, size, right? right. Um, but the two other components are, are are very interesting. One is is physicians. I think that by 2030, I think a majority of healthcare will be provided in a capitation environment, okay, where doctors no longer have to worry about encounters. 
Okay, um, it, it's not about office visits. It's not about charts. It's not about notes. By the way, they're important, but mm-hmm. it's not going to be about that. It's not going to be about you know sort of managing managing the the ICD nines to the CPT codes. Yeah, yes, right. you're going to track all the activity. That's not going to minimize. Right. It's not a numbers game anymore. It's not a numbers game now. So they're going to get their payment at the beginning of the month for providing X amount of care. And their number one job is going to be to keep that patient as healthy as possible. Right. By the way, they do it. Doctors, you know, people talk now recently about sort of the heroes, right? Mm-hmm. They've always been heroes. I I would not be yeah. a doctor under any circumstances. I don't like the hours they keep. I don't like the education they keep. I don't like how much they have to work, the rotation. It is, it, you have to really, really want to be a doctor to be a doctor. I could say it. I, I'm in it. I'm inside the industry. Um uh, pretty seriously. And I commend anyone who chooses to be a doctor, by the way, the same thing with a nurse. Um, But, you know, the financial part of it has always been a challenge. How do you balance staying alive as an industry, as a business uh, with providing the great care? Now let's, let's be realistic. Let's talk about primary care that I know the best, The, the typical primary care independent doctor, let's say one or two doctors are working a tremendous amount of time to maintain their office overhead. Okay. They're usually in nice places, not because they want to be, they want to be well-received. Okay. I don't know any doctor working out of a trailer. I don't know any doctor particularly working out of, there's some rare cases, but not uh, not in the U S anyway, out out of somewhere where you would not feel comfortable going. That's right. Okay. Let's just say, use it that way. No matter what the community, whether it's affluent or not, usually doctors want nice environments, nice people, you know, nice fixtures, everything else. So they have a cost of that overhead. Second is the doctor needs help. He can't do it on himself. He can't do the receptionist, the intake, the vitals, the blood, and then treat the patient. So doctors need a staff, okay? The typical doctor will spend, and I, I know for a fact, doctors will spend $100,000 equipping their practice, okay? And they're going to spend between 30 and 50% of their practice cost in staff. So now you got a fixed space, a couple thousand square feet per doctor usually, and you have, you know, like 2.7 employees per doctor, you know, usually. And the doctor's got to make all this money to then eventually sort of pay himself. More than, more than any other business, he's got a huge overhead. Huge overhead considering the money. And then there's so, a regulatory burden on top And of a that. huge regulatory burden. And and he's got, you know, insurance companies that are watching everything he does, the government watching everything he does, the state watching everything he does. So it's it's a tough place. It's a it's tough to be a physician in today's world. And I think one of the things that 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 a managed care uh model brings is is it reduces the the time that he spends in managing the business, okay? He doesn't have to send bills. He doesn't have to do, you know, the HICFA form. Right, uh, right. Uh, he, he still has to report, but he gets the, the money coming in. So I think, I, 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 no, I think I'm confident that, that in a managed care environment, the doctor will do better. Now, here's why, why the patient does better. The doctor now has an incentive. Yeah. I, li- I literally sort of forget beyond the Hippocratic Oath, you know, become, beyond his ethics, he also now has a financial incentive to spend an extra five minutes with the patient to make sure the patient understood the instructions. Okay, 
I, I cannot be the only person that has been to a doctor and gotten two pages of instructions of how to heal a wound or something that I've had. And, and the doctor spends more than 90 seconds talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm supposed to go home and read it. And, and, you know, most of the time I read, some of the times I don't. Well, now he may have an incentive to spend that 90, more than 90 seconds to remind me that I can't, you know, do change the, you know, oil on my motorcycle. I can't do gardening for a while. I have to wear a glove because I have some kind of, you know, cut in my hand that he just put stitches in. So that's, that's a big opportunity, I think, going forward. So I think, I think it is a win-win for society. And I think it'll, it'll be a win-win for employers or the government because every the interests are aligned. Okay. The, the payer, the patient gets better quality care, and the physician has more financial um, reward, uh, really? stability. Let's use well, the word okay. stability. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's, uh, that's great because that is the way I see it. Uh, so you've got uh, – you want to introduce us to uh, some uh, – so your 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 new zoo. That well, I I, I I I will talk about this in the next podcast, okay? But I want to introduce a, a new concept, and uh, and and the new concept is or a new idea because I've been thinking about how what is going to happen in the future um, of healthcare post COVID. And I, like I said, I I think I I think we'll live with COVID for a long time in some way, shape, or form. But it, it, there's a term that's been used a long time for. Uh, I think over a decade uh, of 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 black swans, and uh, the black swan uh, was actually made famous. I, mean, I don't think he invented the term um, by uh, a book in two thousand and seven by uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, mm-hmm. where he talked about events, and we'll talk about it in more detail in the next podcast. That really are unforeseen events that 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 happen uh, and and uh, and, and people just could not foresee the events that happened. Came For example, the, came out of the unknown. Unknown came out of the unknown. Let, let's talk about like what happened in two thousand and and uh, and eight. Let me give you an example. When Lehman Brothers failed, the, the, the one of the most prestigious banks in in America, uh, that that was sort of a black swan event. That was that was really around for them. It was precipitous too. Nine eleven was sort of a black swan event. Even though you could say, well, there was terrorism. They were no, 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 no. That that event and that circumstances was it sort of a, a definition of a black swan event. Yeah. And then later, a, a few years ago, um, there was a writer, and uh, we'll talk about her. Her name was Michelle Wooker. And she wrote a book called The Gray Rhino, okay? And the book said how to, how to recognize and act on obvious dangers we ignore. And we'll talk about it in the next podcast, but the premise was, and think about you, okay, no guns involved, is being in the, in the savannah in Africa, could you ignore a white rhino charging at you? Or a gray or a, I'm gray, sorry, rhino. gray rhino. Right. Could you ignore a gray rhino charging at you? I don't think so. Well, not for long. You you'd see it. You'd hear it. You'd look at it. It's not it's not, you know, a puma. It's not a panther. Uh it's not a lion. Yeah. It's not a rhinos, snake. Rhinos do not sneak. Yeah, it's no. it doesn't so so the whole idea of the gray rhino are things that were predictable. Right. And people have been using that term to talk about the COVID pandemic. We, we've, we've heard about pandemics uh, sort of in, in the last century, 
literally since the Spanish influenza, right? And then there were others, including the, the Russian influenza, the Asian influenza. You, you've had, uh, you SARS, know, the SARS, MERS, Zika. MERS, Zika. Uh, is the bird flu in there? In one of those you said? Yeah, it should be. Swine yeah. flu as well. It's yes. swine flu. All those, so, those, so this, people are advocating. We'll talk about it again. It was more of a white rhino event. Mm -hmm. But I've been thinking about something else. Is that I, and, and I'm trying to think of what the impact is going to be in healthcare. And I'll just make a little teaser here, but I think we are living through a golden rat event. A golden rat event. R rat, as rat. in R, rat, yeah, not and bat. I'll, I'll just give you a, a little teaser, okay? Um, remember that this year in the Chinese calendar is a year of the rat. Well, I didn't know that, but okay. okay. Yeah. So, and it, it's, it, it was uh, right there at the... Uh, I think it was the end of February, that the, the Chinese New Year, and and we are now living in the year of the rat. So I think because uh, I think everybody agrees. I don't know if anybody just well maybe some people dispute it. This became a Wuhan uh, virus, and in China, uh, around time of New Year's, if you remember, they were the, the the Chinese government made some changes around New Year's mm -hmm. because they were concerned about the spreading of the virus. Uh, so I think next time we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, the uh, the golden rat uh, event. So you, you've got the black swan, you got a gray rhino. I think we're living right now through a golden rat event. So unless you have something to say, we will I, we will bid well, farewell. I have plenty to say about a golden rat, but I'm going to save it for the next one. Okay. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope you will continue to uh, monitor our uh, our blogs and podcasts. Yes. And we'll see you next time. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about our company, please check out our website at oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io.